Little honey bees flying around, little green peas from the ground, buttermilk biscuits nice and brown. Bring it to Tennessee farm table, butter beans, peas, beets and chard, chickens running in the yard, catfish frying in that lard. Bring it to Tennessee farm table. Cast on skillets, good and hot. Watch it steam and crack and pop. Cornbread bacon in that stove. Bring it to Tennessee farm table. Pick them maters, good and ripe. Drop in black gang candy stripes. Look at 'em loading down those vines. Bring it to Tennessee farm table. Bring it to Tennessee Farm Table. Welcome to the Tennessee Farm Table podcast and broadcast, a show that is dedicated to the people of our Appalachian region who produce, prepare, and preserve our foods and agricultural products. This is your hostess, Amy Campbell. Our theme song was graciously sung, arranged, and produced by East Tennessee's own Emmy Sunshine of Madisonville, Tennessee. And Emmy Sunshine even has her own store in Loudoun County, and she's also become a very talented visual artist. We are just so proud of this 14-year-old Tennessee talent. Today at our table, we're going to set it with a visit with Chef Shelley Cooper, executive chef of the Dancing Bear Appalachian Bistro in Townsend, Tennessee. For his Potluck Radio series, Fred Sossman recalls a Tennessee treasure, St. John Milling Company of Watauga, Tennessee. The happily retired Mary Dede Constantine has a fun segment on the topic of Lebanon bologna, plus a recipe for mile-high bologna pie. And if you're listening by radio, I've got a beautiful gospel song by Emmylou Harris. I want to say thank you so much for your good company here today at our big Tennessee table. I so appreciate you tuning in. Now let's get started. Chef Shelley Cooper is executive chef of the Dancing Bear Appalachian Bistro in Townsend, Tennessee. They describe this restaurant as a celebration of Appalachian cuisine. So today I visit with Chef Shelley Cooper. I ask her about her growing up, attitudes on food, and her strong feelings about the use of the word edamame for soybeans in the American South. Now, Shelly's one of the most gracious people you're ever going to meet, and this lady is a hard worker. She cares real deeply about the quality and taste and presentation and the history of the dishes that she prepares. So I hope you enjoy this visit, and uh, let's get to that right now. So here we are talking with uh, Chef Shelly Cooper. Good to see you today. You too, thank you. Yeah, thanks for being here. Well, thank you. We're going to be talking about what you do. You have created an art form out of food. Yeah, well, um, I'm a chef. Food is my life. Uh, I'm very engaged with the entire process of where food comes from, the growing um the, the taking it from the earth and then manipulating it with my life experience of cooking and creating the most beautiful um, 
dish that I possibly can for the guests to enjoy. And it's a, a way of sharing. Um, I was introduced to really delicious food um, from my family. Uh, both sides of my family were very into making scratch-made food only. We never ate processed. Um, I wasn't even aware that you could buy spaghetti sauce until I was um, probably about 10 or 11 years old, and I went to have a sleepover. And um, the the mother was preparing our meal, and she opened up a can of Prego tomato sauce. And I thought that I had been done wrong, and I had to tell my mother about it the next day of... We ate tomato sauce from a jar that was like, you know, wasn't homemade. I just never experienced that. And uh, another thing is when I was off in college and uh, living in Charleston, going to culinary school, and I'm at the grocery store and I see pimento cheese. And even at that age, my naivety about um, store-bought ingredients, I did not, I never thought that you could purchase pimento cheese. To me, you made it, and you had cheddar cheese, and yeah. So um, those are funny things that now at this point in my life I I look back on. And um, but it's the whole fish out of water aspect of if you've never been exposed to it, then how are you ever going to know it? And that's the blessing that I have is that I was from birth exposed to only homemade, homegrown foods and to see my ancestors and um, make homemade cinnamon rolls and you know there wasn't breads were made from scratch and um, you know you you grew the tomatoes and you ate them you didn't necessarily you know eat tomatoes in January unless they were the canned tomatoes that you would put up from the summertime mm-hmm. so just innately um, I, I edit realized and everyone around me did that I was the child that would eat anything and was very open-minded with food and my family never held back if we went out to dinner um, it was never a uh, a, you can't have that you're only six years old you're not old enough to appreciate that my family was very open-minded with allowing me if I wanted to order a rare steak at six years old, well, then that's what I was able to do. And if I wanted to eat livers wrapped in bacon, then, you know, that's what I was able to do. But my family was obviously very open-minded with food as well. Mm-hmm. And um, I wanted to taste everything, you know, as it looked like they were enjoying something delicious. Well, I wanted to experience that too. So that's just innately, uh, that's how I'm made. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, I, I've always loved eating. I've always been fascinated with food and, and the process of it um, and just had a priceless exposure to all of that, um, as I said, from both sides of my family. Mm-hmm. My mother's family is from the Mississippi Delta. Uh, my father's family is from Jonas Ridge, North Carolina. So I had two very different Southern experiences growing up mm-hmm. and exposures. Uh, my mother's mother, um, who I'm named after, my Nina, as I call her, uh, she um, 
would have she had really great relationships with the local farmers in the delta and they would call her and let her know when the lady peas were coming in when the silver queen corn was coming in and i we would go to the scotch Street's farmers market at um just you know six o'clock in the morning and i saw her appreciation and i thought how amazing it was that my grandmother could have afforded to go buy this, have it made already, or have someone do this for her. But her appreciation um, and and the the pride that she took in feeding everyone, and the pride that she took in food, and the people who grew it had a huge impact. To see her show such love and appreciation to these farmers. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would spend summers with her, um, and we would sit on her porch, and we would shuck corn, and we would put up filled peas, and we would have these amazing feasts, and the entire family would come over. And there was just so much love and happiness and camaraderie, and, and those were just, you know, those are just fond, beautiful memories. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was very involved, and she allowed me that. Mm-hmm. She didn't shoo me out of the kitchen. She fully appreciated, and, and I was... I was very engaged with it, you know. I mean, she appreciated the little hard worker that I was helping her shuck corn. Um, And and a a wonderful thing would be in the wintertime, and we would go to her freezer in the uh, garage and pull up corn that we had put up and tomatoes that we had put up and and peas, and and we would have these huge summer-like feast in the middle of winter and the family would just go berserk because it's like we're eating this beautiful fresh product that Nina put up but it's January so Mm -hmm. again the installation of uh, of you know just food is love it's sharing Mm -hmm. and the the same goes uh, with my father's family um, in Jonas Ridge North Carolina Um, my great-grandparents had a big farmhouse Um, a lot of land and it's just heavenly beautiful Um, uh, coming from Memphis is where I I was raised and we would go up to the mountains in the summertime and the temperature would just be so beautiful Mm -hmm. and cool and damp and it just was a very different thing from the sweltering heat of Memphis Um, and the smell of the moss in the air and the you know it's just really amazing Um, so my my uh, family there we would we had this enormous amount of land and we would dig potatoes and beets and we had apple trees and it was just amazing and then there was a stream out behind that we would go catch trout and uh, everything was just so simple a coal burning stove and the smells of of the earth and the rawness of the cooking of the cast iron and you know when you when you light a coal burning uh, stove and just the smells and everything that come along with that and no modern conveniences it was everything you know every morning we had to shovel the coal to build the fires just to boil the water to like have coffee mm-hmm. um, so things in the mountains were more simple and more raw and rustic um, and archaic and no dishwashers no no electric ovens um, and that really instilled an appreciation for how much pride when you are feeding your family and you are growing the crops of how much effort goes into creating a beautiful product 
those beautiful beets, the beautiful potatoes, and it was all natural. I mean, it wasn't, we didn't have, you know, it was just us and, and my relatives and the, you know, the flower garden was just beautiful and um, the material wealth was not there, um, but the, 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 the spiritual wealth was just enormous of how much effort was put into creating these massive feasts every single day. If you've just joined us, you're listening to the Tennessee Farm Table podcast and broadcast. We're visiting today with Executive Chef of Dancing Bear Appalachian Bistro in Townsend, Tennessee, Chef Shelley Cooper. After a short break from our sponsor, Century Harvest Farms Foundation in Greenback, Tennessee, we'll hear about Shelley's feelings on the use of the word edamame for soybeans in the American South. Support for the Tennessee Farm Table podcast is brought to you in part by Century Harvest Farms and Century Harvest Farms Foundation in Greenback, Tennessee. A sustainable farm in East Tennessee producing 100% grass-fed beef and other wholesome farm products. Also home to the community-serving, food-insecurity-fighting Century Harvest Farms Foundation. And also home to the Century Harvest Farm Farm Store, It's a farm store that sits right there on the farm, offering pasture-raised eggs, meats, preservative-free grass-fed charcuterie, preserves, pickles, and jams, along with cutting boards and knives made from Chef Christian of Century Harvest Farm. Details at centuryharvest.org. You know, hey, I don't know what you guys are doing, but I used to sell to the previous chef, and she had all these beautiful veggies and such, and then she said, so do you have any interest in doing anything with edamame? Edamame is soybeans, and I'm like, I love edamame, but here, I don't call them edamame, I call them soybeans because we're in the South, and that's what, I mean, it's one of our big crops. So, so taking that ingredient that is indigenous to this area and unfortunately in modern times people only equivocate that to go into the Japanese restaurant and that's so unfortunate and it it chaps me because that's here and us in this part of the world so 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 a lot of people come in and they see I try to educate the servers of, we don't call it edamame, it's soybeans. It depends on what part of the world you're in. Is it a pimento? Is it a paprika? Is it, you know, what is it? And it, it's all relevant to what part of the world, but anyway, because it became very unpopular and undesirable in this part of the world, soybeans did, so it became very popular to go to the Asian restaurant and get your soybean appetizer, your edamame appetizer. So that's one thing that I find so pleasantly surprising when people get turned on to this of, wait, those are edamame. No, they're soybeans. They've been here for forever. So. And if you just joined us, you're listening to the Tennessee Farm Table podcast and broadcast. Thanks for tuning in here today. And we've been visiting with executive chef of the Dancing Bear Appalachian Bistro, Chef Shelly Cooper. As always, links to Shelly and to all of my guests 
are always available on my website right there where the podcast also resides, tennesseefarmtable.com, under the link that says listen to the show. And up next, we hear from the happily retired Mary D.D. Constantine, formerly the food editor of the Knoxville News Sentinel, with her recipe for mile-high bologna pie, followed by Fred Sossman's segment on St. John Milling Company of Watauga, Tennessee, and he'll recount its remarkable history through the voice of the late George St. John. When it comes to luncheon meat, I have a weakness for bologna. The only thing better than a fried bologna sandwich is a fried bologna sandwich made by my daddy. During a recent trip to the Muddy Pond community in Monterey, Tennessee, I was introduced to a different kind of bologna. Different for me, anyway. It was called Lebanon bologna. Wow! What a wonderful product. It's sweet, it's tangy, it's savory, it's smoky, all at the same time. Of course, I had to do a little research on the lunch meat, and I discovered that it's a traditional Pennsylvania Dutch product that's been produced for more than 100 years. So, heck, where have I been? If you're interested in trying some of it uh, and can't find it locally, there are plenty of places online for you to find it, or take a trip to Muddy Pond. They'll be happy to sell it to you. Whether you have the Lebanon bologna or just your standard variety, you can't go wrong by using it in this mile-high bologna pie recipe. I found the recipe from America's Best Lost Recipe Cookbook, and apparently it was created by a young homemaker who was on a tight budget. Here's how you make it. First, set your oven rack to the middle position and set your oven to 425 degrees. Heat one tablespoon of vegetable oil in a non-stick skillet and working in batches, Cook a pound of deli bologna, preferably sliced in about one half inch thick rounds. Once you've got all your bologna browned, set it aside and add one more tablespoon of oil to the skillet. Slice up one small onion and saute that onion in the skillet. Then you need to take two large russet potatoes that you've peeled half and sliced thin and two carrots that have been peeled and sliced thin. Put those in the skillet and cook them over medium heat for about 8 to 10 minutes until browned. Then add two minced cloves of garlic and a fourth of a cup of water. Cover and cook that baby for 15 to 20 minutes until the potatoes are just beginning to soften. Stir in one cup of peas. I leave that out, but you can do that if you want. And then season the whole thing with salt and pepper. Remove the vegetables from the stove and let them get cool. Now, while they're cooling, you need to make your favorite pie dough recipe and make enough for a double crust. Roll one 12-inch circle and place in a 9-inch deep dish pie plate. Spoon all those warm vegetables into the pie shell and then arrange the bologna on top of the vegetables. Now, I layer my bologna with slices of sharp cheddar cheese, but you don't have to do that if you don't want to. Cover the bologna with the top layer of pie dough, and then you cut four little two-inch slits into it before you brush it with a beaten egg. Bake, again, 425-degree oven for about 30 minutes, and then you remove it from the oven, let it cool for five minutes or so, cut that baby, and enjoy it. 
Now, we'll tell you the recipe says to serve it with ketchup, but truly, you don't need it. This is Mary Constantine with the Tennessee Farm Table. This is Potluck Radio. I'm Fred Saussman. St. John Mill was the center of activity in Watauga, Tennessee from the late 1770s until its closure in 2011. It was the oldest business in Tennessee, and the state's bicentennial celebration began there in 1996. George St. John's grandfather bought the mill in 1866. I visited with George while the mill was still operating. He was 89 years old at the time. There was lots of grain here. There was a tremendous market to the south, Knoxville, Loudoun, Cleveland, Chattanooga. The Reed House in Chattanooga bought stuff from this mill. This was called at that time the breadbasket of the south. This area didn't take much damage from the Civil War. Jeremiah Dungan came down from Bucks County, Pennsylvania to open the mill in the 1770s. Well, they were hunting falling streams, small streams that they could harness. They couldn't harness Watauga River. And Jeremiah Dungan paid taxes in 1779 in Jonesboro. He paid it in pounds. With his degree in electrical engineering from the University of Tennessee, George St. John modernized the old mill. I came here in 35, so I guess I got here in the worst of times because there were too many mills. But George found a niche, milling sweet feed for horses and scratch feed for chickens. George St. John died in 2008 at the age of 95, St. John Mill closed three years later. I'm Fred Saussman. This is Chef Shelley Cooper of Terra May and Dancing Bear Appalachian Bistro, and you are listening to The Tennessee Farm Table. Here are several activities and events sponsored by area nonprofit groups that are farming, food, or agriculturally related. If you're in your car and you can't scribble this stuff down, I always have these links on my website, tennesseefarmtable.com, under the link that says Listen to the Show. The East Tennessee Chapter of National Young Farmers Coalition is a networking and advocacy group for new and beginning farmers. This group hosts four to six events per year, such as potlucks, farm tours, and film screenings, and a great way to meet other local growers. There will be a solstice supper benefiting CAC Beardsley Community Farm on Thursday, June the 20th from 6 to 9 at the Mill and Mine in Knoxville, Tennessee, and those tickets are available online. Century Harvest Farms Foundation, located on the farm in Greenback, Tennessee, has created a Helping Hands volunteer program. Their mission is to end food insecurity in rural East Tennessee. Volunteers come out to the farm, join together as a community, and help give everyone access to healthy, fresh foods. And volunteer opportunities are available every weekend, Friday through Sunday, from 9 to 12 noon at the Farm and Teaching Center in Greenback, Tennessee. Easily sign up at volunteertn 
centuryharvest.org. And for large groups over five, visit centuryharvest.org. And again, on my website, I've listed all of these events with links and each of my guests at tennesseefarmtable.com under that link that says listen to the show. Hi, this is Elaine Strano, Executive Director, Second Harvest Food Bank. Our website is secondharvestetn.org, and you're listening to Tennessee Farm Table. Thank you so much for your great company here today on the Tennessee Farm Table. Hope you can join us again right back here next Saturday at 9 a.m. on the radio dial at wdvx.com out in Knoxville or anytime on our podcast tennesseefarmtable.com Our theme song was written by myself and sung, arranged, and performed by Emmy Sunshine of East Tennessee. More information about Emmy Sunshine at theemmysunshine.com That is spelled T-H-E-E-M-I sunshine.com We hope you'll reach out and connect with us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram, and also our podcast on TennesseeFarmTable.com, and please tell your friends about us. We want to say thank you to WDVX Radio out of Knoxville, Tennessee. They are a true community-supported radio station that does not receive funding from universities or government agencies. The community and businesses support WDVX. Through an agreement with WDVX, they are our media partner, and the Tennessee Farm Table Show is broadcast on that station every Saturday at 9 a.m. We hope you have a good week and keep on digging. This has been a Campbell Creative Incorporated production. And you are listening to East Tennessee Zone 899 WDVX, and it is time for Sweetgrass. <laughs>